0: I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Did anybody participate in Black Friday? Anybody stand in line? Come on now. You can be honest. You can testify. It's okay. Uh, Or maybe Brown Thursday when they open the doors on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Listen, our family participated in that. I got to tell you. And I created a win for everybody. Here's what I did. I like a little kid, I went through all of the ads. I went online, and I scoped it out. I even went to Best Buy and Target and looked at the floor plan. I walked it out. All right? And so here's what I did. I had four things that I wanted. Four things. Um, and I said to my two children older children and wife, but mainly them, I said, look, if you will go and lay claims to these items, these four items, and I've got them ranked, I had them one through four in terms of priority, I will pay you $20 for the first one, because I'm making a huge savings. If you'll go, I'm going to coach you through this, if you'll go to Target and get this, and then one of them was a... Rechargeable razor. It was regularly sixty four ninety five. It was thirty four ninety five. Pretty good deal for that one. Ten dollars. You bring that to me to the house. You get ten dollars cash. And so I, I had these prioritized and laid out, and it was awesome because Rebecca. Well, she was fired up. She's like, "You mean I'm getting paid to shop? I love it." And, and so, sure enough off they went and Delia couldn't help herself I didn't say she needed to go but she went and I thought there's no way they're not gonna find all four because they're gonna be fighting with folks they're gonna be standing in line inventory's gonna run low here they come with all four of the items now I'm not gonna tell you what the other three are because it'll sound very self-indulgent when I tell you but anyway they, they, uh, they 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 laid them all around I was I was watching a game on TV it was great I was on the leather couch and here comes my personal shoppers and they lay it all there and, and say there you go and they were empty-handed and you know I felt bad I gotta tell you I felt kind of selfish um, but once I began to fiddle with some of them that feeling passed and uh, I, And I did, I did. I really felt kind of bad about it. And so one of the messages in this message that I'm sharing with you is, you know, Christmas is about giving, okay? Uh, But the other is, I want to testify and be honest with you, one of the items I am going to take back and credit that towards my wife's Christmas. So that's, you may ask, why would I do that? That's the kind of guy I am, okay? And so my Black Friday was awesome. And um, and so Christmas is pretty much over for me in terms of receiving gifts. But, you know, one of the things that I realize every year is that those things that I lay my hands on, that become a part of my possession, uh, they don't really have lasting joy. I mean, uh, there is a momentary buzz off of getting those things. But I don't have lasting joy from those things. In fact many of them you could classify as as fads. We all know Christmas fad shopping right. Remember some of the hot items that people would fight over years ago? Furby. That is one ugly mug. Uh, you know I'm talking about that weird creature animal stuffed thing. Right? Furby was real big years ago. Remember Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond? Remember that? That was a huge one. That's in the top 5, right? That could be a favorite for you the number one all-time-selling Christmas gift for kids. You want to take a shot at it? Cabbage Patch Dolls. That was not on my list, but that's the number one all-time-selling hot item for Christmas toys. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that some of these things that we thought were the hottest items are now part of our hoarding storage. They don't mean much to us at all. And then I think about some of the classics. Some of the ones that we look back and think, okay, that was a simple gift, but oh, it's been lasting. Think about a bicycle for Christmas. Do you remember that Smokey? That was huge. Or for some of you Second Amendment folks, a cap gun. You know, pow! I mean, that one lasts a long time. That's a classic. Or I saw a kid playing with this the other day. Rubik's Cube, right? Or Rock'em Sock'em Robots. That was a great one. Some of these have lasted, and we would say that they're classics. Think about something that is vintage. Some would say wine some would say art. Some would say music, which is likened to art. Some would say an automobile that that has lasted the test of time and still is attractive in design. Something that is stayed is vintage. And so we're entering into this series entitled Vintage Christmas. And in the midst of the chaos of this season... In the midst of the consumerism, uh, there are a lot of messages that surface. But what we want is to kind of refocus on the classic truths of Advent and Christmas. And those classic truths, those vintage truths, come from the Bible. In fact, so vintage, so classic, so timeless, that we're going all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah is really categorized as the fifth gospel. It is likened to a gospel in the Old Testament in that it, is, it has recorded, Isaiah has recorded for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, more verses that foretell of Jesus the Messiah. In the Old Testament alone, there, uh, some scholars would say we could tag about a 100 Prophecies that kind of move us toward Jesus, point us toward Jesus. Some would say more, some would say less, and Isaiah posts many of those. Because during Isaiah's time, they are in the midst of, God's people are in the midst of uh, captivity and rule by another nation. Part of the time, Assyria, part of the time, Babylon. So that they're feeling as though they're held in bondage, and they're longing for freedom. They're longing for one to come and save them, to be their redeemer. And so that's where we pick up today in this series, Vintage Christmas. And the wonderful thing is that these Old Testament passages speak about how Jesus will change the world. Will radically transform this globe. But what's more important than even that is that Jesus was prophesied so that he would change my life. And he came so that my life would be transformed. And we pray that during this series, uh, that will be afforded to you that change can happen, that salvation will be part of your story. I want us to look at the scripture, and then we're going to pray together. But I'd like for us to look. You have it in your message notes, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We're going to start there. But before we do that, I'd like for us to pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's everlasting, that it's applicable to us. And the message that Isaiah was writing is a message for us. We thank you that it's timeless, that your ways are eternal, and you're a God that never changes. Your mercies are new each morning, but your love is constant, unwavering, and your grace is available to us today. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for Isaiah's willingness to record all that was on his heart. It's in the name of the Messiah that we pray. Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I'll read this. You follow along. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, the two main capitals representing The areas where the people of God reside. In the last days, you might want to underline that. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of God of Jacob of the God of Jacob. And then this is the focus of our talk today. He will teach us his ways so that what? So that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will teach Part of this birth announcement that goes way back into the Old Testament, recorded in the first two-thirds or three-quarters of the Bible, is a birth announcement speaking to a need that we need instruction. We need guidance. You know, the, the world is full of information. In fact, information is so accessible to us now Google has become a verb that didn't exist 15 years ago. And so if I want to find information, I can find fairly truth if, uh, true information and authentic information. Now, there are some things on the Internet that in recent days we've heard as fake news, false information, and I'm sure there's a good bit of that. But in terms of things like if I want to change the brake pads on my car, which I would never do, I could find that on the internet. If I wanted to kind of study up on the effects of what rebooting my computer will do and how to sort through some of that in terms of some problems that I may be having with the computer, if the computer's working, I can get on the internet and find that information. And so we're inundated with information but is our world any better because of all the information? I would suggest, while some information is helpful, it's not necessarily all that redeeming. It's not going to save us. So as I look at this particular passage, in verse 3, he will teach us, he will instruct why? So that we might walk in his path. You see, this was so important for the people during Isaiah's time. Because they had what I call a holy expectancy. They were longing for one to redeem them. And that's why it says in the passage, referencing the last days. In the last days, a Messiah will come. During this season, as we know it, we call it Advent. Advent simply means coming. We are looking forward and reliving that period of time as they did, as they anticipated the birth of Jesus Christ. In the last days, the clock started running, really, then for them. And I would suggest to you, it started running for us as well in the last days. And the beautiful thing for us is that we live in between Advents. Because one of the things that we celebrate is the first Advent. The coming of Jesus in human flesh and dwelling amongst us. In the incarnation, being one of us, and then the second Advent. We're longing for when Christ will come again in all of Christ's glory and all things will be made new. We have that hope in Christ Jesus, that he will come again. And for all of those who walked with Christ and died and have been received with Christ, they have that hope as well. So we live in the land in between, if you would, in the last days. And so how is it that I need instruction? He came that we might have discernment and wisdom. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, long-expected Jesus. We need you. And so take a look with me if you have your uh, Bible app open or if you have your Bible. We want to continue to look at this passage. And one of the phrases that surfaces is the mountain of God. The mountain of God references anything significant that can happen. Like when Abraham on the mountain of God, as it's referred to, sacrificed and offered up Isaac, but God provided a ram. It was on a mountain that all that took place. It was on a mountain, Mount Sinai, where, where the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, were handed to Moses. It was on a mountain where the transfigure, transfiguration took place in the New Testament as Jesus was with Peter and James Uh, Peter and John, and as they were standing there, the heavens opened up, and Elijah and Moses showed up, and the heavens spoke forth, and God the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Be instructed by him. And so, when we see the mountain of God, that is sacred space. And so, Advent is equated to a mountain experience, Mountains are important because insignificant people are laid claims to in significant ways. Dramatic things happen. And so the mountain of God is significant in this passage. It is referred to a place where ordinary people encounter an extraordinary God. So we have this need for instruction from this extraordinary guide. We need a teacher. Uh, Jesus is affirmed both in the prophecies and in his life as recorded in the New Testament as a great teacher. Now we know him as far more than that. But the disciples often spoke to him in a term of endearment and respect. Rabbi, you see in that day and a rabbi would walk and and he would usually be pretty selective in who he would mentor and so maybe you've been chosen for something Uh, maybe you were chosen for the honor society or maybe you were picked for a team uh for me i was selected for extended detention in school but uh Been tapped out for something, and and it usually was the upper echelon that would be tapped out to be trained under the rabbi. And that one that would be mentored was hungry to learn. It, It was a status symbol if you were being mentored by a rabbi. And so, Jesus, being unlike any other teacher, unlike any other rabbi, goes and he selects the unlikely. Peter would have never been selected. Poor fisherman who was wayward and had an anger problem. Judas, who was greedy, a zealot, always ready to pick a fight for the Jewish cause, but he would have never been selected. And I think about the grace of God and how as I stand here today, if it were on my merits, if it were on my good works, I would never be selected. But Jesus is one who instructs us, and he says to everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what side of the tracks you live on, no matter how much education you have, no matter what you've done, come unto me, and I will teach you. And so we have a need for instruction. We, need a, we have a need for guidance from this, from this tutoring program rabbi that says come and follow me if you have your bible app or your or your bible take a look at this passage and 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 we see something that surfaces after verse 3 and it's this that Jesus Jesus was born to instruct us so that there may be peace in the world now the reality is i'm not sure now some historians um, would say we've got over 500,000 years of history and you could, you could go back and, and, and you have a certain number of uh, historical years that are recorded and y- you could debate evolution or, or when the earth was born. But the, the point is, I don't know as long as there's been human beings, I'm not sure there's ever been real peace. There's always been tribal battles, wars, raging uh, in the midst of nations. But Jesus holds out hope for us in this. If there really is the possibility of peace, in verse 4, he shows us something creative. In verse 4, it says, the Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. That's interesting, isn't it? They will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. We, we don't see this in the world, but what a beautiful image that is. Weapons of war being converted into pragmatic utility tools for the good of others. They will hammer their swords into shares, And so we pray that God will make us a peaceable nation. But I I think of that hymn where it says let there be peace but let it begin with me. And for there to be real peace, that means I need to have peace abiding with me. Tony Campolo talks about how he was in a church in Oregon, and while he was there, there was an opportunity for kind of a a healing uh, element in the worship where people could come and be prayed for. And this 58-year-old man came forward, and they prayed for him. He had cancer, and uh, there was just this overwhelming sense that it was going to be okay. And so about a week later, his wife called Tony and said, look, Tony, I need to share with you, my husband had cancer. And Tony thought, great, my my prayers are effective. This guy's been healed. And she, she said, no, he has died. But I need you to know my husband was angry, and he was bitter, and he was resentful, and he was mad at God, and he was mad at everything in the world. And although my husband was not cured, He was healed because there was such peace in his heart. And he had reconciled with God when we came to that service and he had made peace with some family members. And so the cancer was not cured, but his heart was healed. So I want to thank you that he was at peace. So one of the things I believe in a world of chaos and confusion And misinformation is that Christ desires to to bring us peace. To teach us what it really means to have peace in our lives. And I believe he wants us to be instructed by him as he is our rabbi. Let's continue on to verse 5. Come descendants of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord come descendants of Jacob's, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. We need light for direction, don't we? We need guidance for our lives. And sometimes, even when we have the right information, we still can be misguided. Recently, and I'm coming clean on this, there was a church council meeting and and I went to the room that um, I thought we were having church council, and I was sitting there, and I was by myself, and the time for the meeting drew, drew near, and I thought, man, we're all laid back here, and nobody's really showing up yet. I guess the traffic out on Bass Road is getting folks, and, and then it got five minutes before the meeting, and not a soul was there, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, uh, people are just, I, I knew Martha Bowman was laid back, you know, and the leaders are, you know, have a, a, a laid back approach, but... Nobody and then I realized it wasn't in that room. It was in the basement. And so I walked downstairs, and everybody's there wet. Y'all are all there. And I'm walking in, and I'm like, I knew this all along. Good to see y'all. Hope you're doing well. Ministry ties me up. I'm a little late, but hey, it's good to see you. I was in the wrong room. I was misguided by misinformation on my part. So it is that maybe some of you today are at a place where you feel misguided, misdirected. A woman was at our 830 service this morning, and, and I reached out to her, and she said, I've only been visiting a couple of weeks, and I said, we are so glad you're here. She said, my husband, we've lived here for eight years, my husband is in a nursing home, and I'm really Kind of here by myself and I'm looking for a place to be a part I'm looking for um, a community I can plug into and with that I said can we pray in the prayer room we were standing right outside the prayer room I said you know what I think you need us and we need you and we're growing together come be a part of us we have a need for a rabbi that will help us, that will instruct us. And one of the things that Haynes said in his message earlier today on this same subject is Jesus is better experienced than explained. I like that. Jesus is better experienced than if I tried to explain that. And that's why being a part of a community, a small group, a Sunday school, a Bible study, gives us an opportunity to experience and be instructed in Jesus as we are with other people who are longing to be like Jesus. And so as we close out, I think about how rabbis would walk in the Palestinian roads and they would have those that they were mentoring and they would follow in close behind them. And as they would follow in close behind them, they would get caked with the dust From those Roman roads, Palestinian roads. And oftentimes, those who were being schooled and trained by the rabbi would have on their robes filth from the road. And one of the greatest compliments you could get was this I see that the rabbi, your rabbi's dust is caked on your tunic, on your clothing. And what that was saying was, I see that you walk closely with your teacher. I see that you draw near to your master. And so much so that the soil from his feet attaches to your clothing. I pray that for us, that we will be instructed by God's Holy Spirit. That we will be caked in that spirit. And during these days of Advent, that we will draw near to a rabbi that came to save the world, came to save you and me.